Good morning, Mike Broomhead. Good morning, Jamie West. How was your, how'd you survive the storm? Well, I tried to sleep through a lot of it, but uh, it was some pretty bright lightning. Yeah, it was incredible. In the north part of town where I lived, it still was, it woke me up as well. So very, very interesting at this time of year. Yeah, I was expecting to see ice on my husband's car uh, when I left this morning because he parks in the driveway. Didn't see any, but it didn't get really, really cold until around 7 o'clock. Yeah, it was pretty cool when I left my house, but it cooled off more than that. Thanks, Jamie. Good morning, everyone. We're going to get to the economy here in a moment, talk about our guests. But I have a special favor to ask everyone this morning. I got a phone call from some dear friends last night, and a family member of theirs is, uh, his name is Aaron, uh, has is uh, has is been diagnosed with Asperger's, but he's very high functioning. But he had an issue, I don't know what it was, about 4 o'clock in the morning on the 13th of February. He packed a bag and a roller bag and a backpack, and he left his home. They haven't seen him since, and he didn't get a text from them since uh, 1.30 that same afternoon. So obviously the family is very, very concerned. If you follow me on social media, the flyer is up with a phone number. Um, they've reported this to the police, but he's 20 years old and a young man named Aaron. Um, if you want to see the flyer, it's on all of my social media platforms this morning. And I'm going to give you a phone number. It's in the area of 40th Street and Greenway, but he hasn't been seen since the 13th at 4 a.m. when he left the house. So he could be anywhere in the valley, but the family's very, very concerned. Uh, two phone numbers, and they're both 602 numbers. First one is 538-0454. The other one is 524-9991. Again, the flyer with all the information is on my Facebook page. It's on Instagram. It's now on Twitter. Um, And so these are dear friends of mine. And uh, anytime you have a family member that could be in trouble, obviously, they are very nervous. They are very concerned. And we're hoping for a safe return. So any way you can help uh, would be very, very much appreciated. So, um, again, he was wearing, I'm going to just give you a quick description, dark blue sweatpants and a sweatshirt along with a gray roller bag and a black backpack. His name is Aaron. He's very shy. If you see him, please call those numbers or call PD. Thanks. Um, let's talk about what we're doing on the show this morning coming up at 9.05. Uh, Dr. Chad Wilson, who is the superintendent of EVIT, the East Valley Institute of Technology, joins me. You've heard me talk about the about EVIT quite a bit and the CTEDs in general. I just happen to know the people over at EVIT better. I've gotten to know the members of the board and I know uh, Chad pretty well. And the uh, they're doing a lot of great things there. But as more and more attention is being paid to the direction that children go at the high school level? Are they directed toward college? Are they directed toward other programs? There are very high-paying jobs available that need to be filled by people that are not necessarily destined for college at an early age. So we're going to talk with them about their outcomes, about the performance, and and when you hear the statistics of how successful they are with graduation rates, how successful they are, it's it's, it's a program that's worth noting. So we'll talk with him coming up at 9.05. we start off, the January sales numbers are up, but I was talking to some people that I know that are experts and getting some text and some background information. A lot of the spending in January is credit card debt. Now, again, there's a political element to this, especially when you listen to my show. You know where I stand politically. We talk about politics quite often, but I'm more of an issue-based person. I want reality and I want answers, um, and I just want honest solutions to, to problems. That's my goal. And uh, we are watching what Wall Street is doing. The S&P is down. 
We know the Dow is, has been down. NASDAQ is down. Well, if the spending numbers are up and we see that inflation is waning year over year, there are concerns. And those are not the only two drivers of any of those numbers. But when they start looking at the why of the data and when you start seeing that a lot of this is kind of the holiday stuff, it's also massive credit card spending that people are going further and further into debt. It's concerning that we're not seeing the necessities drop faster than they are. And it's leading people to believe that by June of this year, we're going to see another rate increase from the Fed. So there's an adjustment period going on. This is exactly what we were warned about. And what the concern is, at some point, will the administration have to say and admit we're in a recession? But that term has become so overused politically that it really doesn't do any good. What I mean by that is the people on my side of the aisle look at the data and the statistics and the definition of a recession, and they say, we've been in a recession for quite a while. People on the president's side of the aisle or in the president's camp would say, how do you call it a recession? We have such great job numbers and spending is still high. But that's the political battle. For me, it's all about Well, you and me, it's all about average people and how they are faring. And we are seeing that they are falling further and further in debt when electricity, the cost of electricity is up dramatically, Uh, heating oil up dramatically, Um, gasoline is up moderately year over year, but we're seeing uh, prices climb again. There are concerns about the necessities. And there's an interesting story about farmers that have been elected to Congress. And giving um, uh, or speaking to Congress are, are, are giving their ideas on how we can fix some of the food shortages. There was a story that I couldn't believe was true that a dozen eggs now costs as much or more than a pound of beef of like ground beef. And so it's something that's unheard of. I've talked with Clinton Hickman on the show a number of times where his family, uh, his brother is the president of uh, Hickman's Family Farms out in the far West Valley. And this is a family that's been farmers here in Arizona, egg farmers specifically, for, I don't know, 50 years for such a long time or maybe longer than that here in Arizona. And so they are uh, people that are experts in this as well. There are a lot of factors. But when it comes to what the factors are, people aren't as concerned about the factors as they are how it affects them personally. If you own a restaurant, if you own one of my my dreams would be to own a restaurant and everybody I know, everybody I know tells me I'm crazy. And so I probably am never going to do it. But the idea is such a great one in my mind. I love going to uh, hole in the wall breakfast places and I love going out and having a good breakfast. And I think, man, a breakfast and lunch spot would be the best place to have in the right part of town. You could do so well because there are some that I go to and I frequent that are just such great places. And you think about what's happened to their food costs over the last few months and how in the world does an operation like that survive when your main ingredient is eggs for breakfast and everything you cook just about? um, How do you survive? How do you? But the average family as well, when you cook at home, so many people are saying, you know, we can't afford to eat at a restaurant. That's one of the things we have to cut back on is do more eating at home. Well, now you're seeing the cost of those necessities are through the roof. What is it that people are doing? Um so January retail sales are up. Retail, they're up 3% in January, smashing expectations. And what's going to happen um, next? I mean, what does what happens? 
Uh, we're talking about Social Security and what the Congress is going to do um, and how do we level things off. Four of Congress farmers uh, weigh in on how to solve food prices, and that to me is going to be a bigger part of this. In the end, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever it is, if the economy was booming and there was no inflation, this president would be have marks that were much higher than they are right now. And unfortunately, whether you agree with it or you disagree with it, when the numbers are the way they are, it goes in the other direction. I was uh, – again in, in 2004, I was a volunteer on the Bush campaign, and uh, I had uh, you know done some events here in Arizona for the president. I had traveled to some events around the country for the president. I believed in the president's reelection in 2004, and then when we saw the housing crisis hammer the United States and Arizona was so dramatically impacted in 2008 at the end of his presidency, it didn't matter what he did in the other seven years. That was what was the defining moment of that presidency, and he became – immensely unpopular at the end of that presidency, so much so that when Barack Obama ran for president, he very wisely, smartly, whether it's fair or not, it's all fair in love and war, you know, he tied John McCain to George Bush. He said that a John McCain economy would be just an extension of the George Bush economy. And I don't believe that that was necessarily true. And if this housing crisis had happened earlier in the presidency and they had recovered from it, it would have been a different story. If you look at the legacy of George W. Bush, he has become much more popular in the eyes of the American people. And and so history has been a lot more kind to the former president than um, what happened at the end of his presidency. And so this is what happens in American politics. Joe Biden is going to live and die politically with what happens in the U.S. economy. And there are going to be people, myself included, that are looking at the policies that he has in place, the things that he is enacting, the fact that he denied inflation at all by calling it transitory. He's going to be held accountable at the, at the polling places for that. So when you look at all of these things and you put them together, in the end, the American people are a lot less um, worried about politics. They're a lot more concerned about how America moves forward and how the average American family can build their American dream, whatever it looks like for them. You've got kids you want to start a college fund for. You've got kids you want to send on that class trip to Washington, D.C. or let them play Little League or take piano lessons or whatever it is for your family, for you and your uh, you and your significant other, what you're building for toward the future and what you want in your retirement years. And when you're not able to do that and you're still working as hard or harder than you have in the past, someone is going to be held accountable for it. And it is usually the administration. So it's something we'll be keeping a very close eye on. Uh, what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to go back to the shooting at uh, Michigan State University. The controversy and the conversation continues. The president wants a ban on assault weapons, even though it was a pistol that was used. They are giving $200 million to the states for gun uh, control measures or, or somehow crackdown on guns. But we're going to have a conversation of how did this guy ever get one and back to another argument. So that's all coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate the time as always. Um, it is, uh, it is, um, 
Interesting times that we live in. Um, and I want to wade into this because this automatically, this conversation devolves into something very passionate and then ugly at times. Because I understand both sides of this issue and the passion involved. And it involves when we see people do evil things. When you see someone like this guy at Michigan State University, 43 years old, Anthony McRae, uh, take a gun on a college campus and what appears to be anyway – indiscriminately shoot people. Now, if you shoot somebody you've got a vendetta against and other innocent people are hit, it's still just as tragic. But the idea that innocent people are being gunned down in the street is something we all hate. Um, and immediately yesterday, immediately from the governor of, uh, of Michigan, there was a, a Democrat Congress a member of Congress from Michigan yesterday that was dropping the F-bomb and F your thoughts and prayers and we have to do something. And so all of a sudden, immediately the conversation turned Turns to gun control. The president of the United States called yesterday again for uh, a, a ban on assault weapons. This guy used a pistol. Now, I'm not saying it makes it any better, but again, you're, you're, the, these arguments make no sense to me. If we could have a reasonable conversation, and what's happening here is it, it's on top of being angry, it is now um, – what do you, what would you call it? It is then a noble anger that if you're not angry, if you, damn it, we have to do something and we've got to change the laws. And if you're not that angry, then you just don't care. So there's nobility in their anger, no matter what that anger is. Now, listen to what happened with this guy. I just want you to hear, I'm going to read the, the, the facts. These are the facts. Anthony McRae was charged in June of 2019 with illegally carrying a concealed handgun without a permit. Later had those charges dismissed by the office of Ingram, Ingham County District Attorney Carol Seaman. Her office instead let McRae plead to a lesser misdemeanor gun charge, and he was served a little more than a year on probation. Which ended May 21st. He initially faced up to five years in prison for the felony charge. The uh, the attorney, the district attorney retired from the district attorney's office at the start of this year after facing criticism from judges and law enforcement officials for her soft on crime policies. The same year that McRae was released, the sheriff pushed East Lansing City Council to reconsider her internal felony firearm charging policy, which he said does not hold people properly criminally accountable for increases, the, and it increases the likelihood of additional gun violence. Um, she made it her office's official policy in August of 2021 to drop mandatory prison sentences for felony firearms charges. She said the sentencing enhancements led to dra dramatic racial inequality and was not in any way linked to the goal that we share of keeping the public safe. This is where I disagree. I, I absolutely disagree with that sentiment. I will tell you this. The families of the people that were murdered by this guy don't care what color his skin is. And today they're probably not that concerned about equity in our prison system. What they're concerned about is a guy that on not one but two different occasions that we know of had issues with guns and wasn't punished properly for it. So all of these people that want to ban, whether, whether it's the uh, AR-15 platform, whatever it is, high-capacity magazine, whatever it is you want to ban, you want to make it harder for me to defend myself. You want to make it more difficult for me to defend myself. 
And you're not saving anybody by doing that. I can guarantee you, um, I own multiple firearms, always have. It's not a big deal for me. I'm not Rambo, none of those things. I own a multitude of firearms. I have ammunition at my house. I'm not a threat to anybody in my neighborhood. As a matter of fact, in a dramatic, horrible situation, I would be an asset. And I hope that never happens. But if you look at the numbers of people that have gone to be first-time firearms purchasers, legal firearms purchasers, there is a dramatic increase in African-American gun purchase and a dramatic increase in women purchasing firearms based on what we're seeing in the short staffing and failure to prosecute people that commit crimes. And I'm as sure as I'm sitting here, I say respectfully to everybody I'm arguing with on social media. I I will tell you that I know that your intentions are good, which you don't give me the same credit for. But I know you're well intended. But if we would punish people for committing crimes with the laws that are on the books, if we went out there and made sure that felons who possessed firearms suffered dire consequences for possessing firearms, then we would have a lot less of this problem going on. Because it would do two things. It would take repeat offenders like this because you're already a convicted felon. You can't have a firearm. It would take them off the street for an extended period of time and separate them from society. And secondly, it would send a clear message to people out there because there are many people out there that are convicted felons that are not necessarily violent. But it would send them a warning that it's this is nothing to joke about. You're not getting a reduced sentence. The charges aren't going to be dropped or reduced. You are going to prison. It's not worth it. And anybody out there modifying guns illegally, anybody out there selling guns illegally, you're going to prison. We would get rid of a lot of this because what we see more often than not is when these things happen – I'm talking about murders in general, not these mass shootings. Murders in general are people that are already convicted felons. There are some, but most people do not graduate to murder. They have committed multitudes of other crimes before they get to murder. And what is really angering about this is we all want the same thing, safe streets. Add to this one last thing. What about school security? We've I, you've heard me talk with my friend Steve Hooper a number of times about um, no analyzing threats and access to buildings and on open campuses. Should it be harder to get on campus? All of these things are something we should be asking about. But right away, the loudest voices you hear and the ones that get the most attention are the people that start screaming "ban guns." I got I was arguing with a guy on Twitter that said if guns didn't exist, this wouldn't have happened. And he's right. I acknowledge that he's right. But what fantasy land do you live in where guns don't exist? Even in nations that don't allow their citizens to carry guns, people have them. So why don't we deal in reality and trying to fix the problem together instead of drawing battle lines and all of a sudden I'm evil because I tell you making it harder for me to get a gun doesn't make you safer. I just hope this conversation continues. Coming up in a moment, Gatos joins me. It's our Big Q poll question of the day. I hope you'll stick around for it. The Gatos Big Q poll question brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, good morning, Gatos. What do you think of this guy that Cardinals hired? 
I, I don't know much about him, but he did a great job with the Eagles. Um, he's I've heard from some people that know him that really like him, but I don't know. He's never been a head coach, and I don't know much about him. What about you? You know, he could end up being a really good coach. Yeah. But here's here's the problem, because I, I don't know much about him either, just like you. But um, it doesn't seem they, like they got the people that they wanted. I, I Listen, I had, a, I had a list of coaches that they were talking to and they were interested in, and he wasn't on it. Well, there, here's the issue, too, and this is the, the two schools of thought. One is you're right, that they ended up taking what was left. It was like he was the last person picked for the game in P.E. The other one is right. that's who they wanted all along, and they had to wait till after the Super Bowl to get him. I don't think they had to wait till after the Super Bowl. That's the thing. They could have interviewed him before, you know, the Super Bowl. They were interview. There were there were coaches that were being interviewed. I I think Super Bowl week you weren't going to interview him, but early on they could have interviewed this guy. Yeah, I mean, and they didn't, and so it makes me wonder. It's like, okay, well, we don't have a coach. We're the last team to hire a coach. And now I'm looking around and like, well, that guy's still here. He's he just lost the Super Bowl. He's in Glendale. Why don't we just have him come over for dinner and see if he's any good? Well, and then we'll just hire him. The big question for me now, because he is a defensive guy, and people say a great defensive guy. Who do they hire as the OC? Who's the who's the offensive yeah. coordinator? That to me is going to tell a big story. If people want to be here with this new leadership team, or they don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to clip Kingsbury out, but I'm looking at this and saying, you know, geez, you might as well have just left him in another year because it yeah. looks like they're going to just tank it next year, right? Yeah. So what do you got for a question? Do you like the hire? Yes or no? Great question. Uh, I, uh, I mistakenly called him Rich Gannon yesterday. That was <laughs> terrible. He's a former quarterback in the league. His name is Jonathan Gannon. Yes. Uh, and, you know, he's an eagle, so that makes me not like him immediately. Yeah. But I hope he does well. I do, but too. But I have no idea. The guy could be great or a total bust. Or I don't think he's going to be here for five years. They just gave him a five-year deal. Hey, let's just throw five-year contracts. Michael Bidwell loves paying people when they're not here. Great question as always, man. All right, man. See ya. All right. The Big Q poll question today brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. We talk with the superintendent of EVIT in just a moment.